extend a greeting to you this morning in Jesus' precious name. The title of my message this morning is, Don't Let Your Light Burn Low. And I was thinking, as in relation to the Sunday School lesson, I was thinking, you know, what if we didn't have an instruction manual? We had to learn everything by experience. And experience is a good teacher, but it's also a very, very painful teacher many times. What if we had to learn everything by experience? So I think about the title of not letting our lights burn low is uh, an indication that you're here this morning that you desire to nourish that flame in your Christian walk with the Lord and uh, your Christian experience. There's a quote that I, I've probably shared with some of you over the years. I like it. But I was rethinking it recently, and I, this quote goes like this, Life doesn't have to be difficult, and that ties in with uh, the idea of learning things by experience. Uh, life doesn't have to be difficult, and I, as I thought about that, I like that expression, I like that quote, uh, and as I look at my own experiences, many times I make it difficult because I know what needs to be done, I know what should be done, but I'm not willing to do it, and so I let it drag out, and I let it antagonize me. And, uh, you know, that, that little quote kind of puts it in perspective that, you know, it really doesn't have to be difficult if we do what we know we should do. Um, well, what really got me to thinking, rethinking that quote was, and you can think about that, meditate about that quote, life doesn't have to be difficult. So I reflected back over that quote, and two things particularly, two events particularly kept coming into focus as I thought about that idea. First of all, my oldest brother uh, in the passing of his wife, my sister-in-law, of 45 years. You know, that, that's a difficult experience. And I, that's a little over two weeks ago, and I've been thinking about that. I thought, you know, I tried to put myself in his shoes. How would I feel? Uh, you know, it's a relationship that, you know, was 45-year tenure, you know, and it's all of a sudden it's cut off. It's, it's done. You're left with the memories. And, uh, you know, it's, it is difficult, without a doubt. And... Uh, you know, the adjustments, the, the changes that take place in one's life because of that. Uh, you know, we can think about it, we can anticipate it, but you know, the reality of it, when it finally hits, I think is, is something that, can we actually prepare ourselves for that? So that was one thought that I, as I, that came into focus as I, as I thought about life doesn't have to be difficult. I, I think all of us would agree that that is a difficult experience, regardless what stage of life we're in, that would be a difficult experience to go through. The second event that uh, came into focus was the uh, recent news of Hurricane Harvey, uh, the flooding, the loss of life and property. You know, that, that would be difficult. As I read some of the news articles, listened to some of the interviews, you know, and, uh, you know, I feel like maybe I can empathize with them just a little bit. Uh, we have uh, the south branch of the Middle Fork of the Zumbro River flowing through our property, and, uh, you know, so we've experienced flooding in a very, very minimal way compared to what those on the Gulf Coast have experienced. Uh, I think at the worst case scenario, we calculated one time we had maybe 40 acres of cropland under flood, which was probably about uh, a third of our cropland, maybe a half to a third of our cropland. And uh, but you know, yet it's never come up and threatened life or livestock or buildings. And 
you know, so, uh, you know, that's another thing. And I, I thought about that, you know, those people living there, and I guess probably what made it a little more real was the fact that Lois and I were right in that local community there, Rockport, Corpus Christi, uh, winter, uh, like two winters ago, I guess it was. And uh, so I thought about that. You know, those, those people didn't choose that hurricane to come ashore where it did. You know, God controlled that. We believe that. Uh, I thought of the verses in the book of Job. You know, has anybody ever experienced anything more difficult than Job in life? And uh, I was impressed as I read a few verses from the book of Job. They're, they're actually very familiar verses. And as I read them, you'll probably recall them to memory. Job 5, verses 6 and 7 Although affliction cometh not forth of the dust, neither doth trouble spring out of the ground, yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Kind of giving an indication that we can anticipate difficulties. We can anticipate troubles in life. And then later on in chapter 14, in Job 14, verses 1 and 2, Man that is born of a woman is of a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. And we often hear those verses shared at uh, committals or graveside services, perhaps. And uh, actually, the uh, the the, the uh, thought in, in chapter five was shared by Job's friend uh, as he counseled with Job, uh, Eliphaz, and then Job answers him there in verse in chapter fourteen, verses one and two. Um, I was thinking about, you know, the difficulties that, uh, you know, I don't know whether you think your life has had a lot of difficult experiences or not, but uh, I was reading a periodical here just recently that uh, that I thought put some interesting uh, thoughts together, a uh, periodical that I received. He depicted it that way. Uh, the generations, he said, are kind of like a pyramid. And uh, we have the uh, a generation is described as roughly 18 to 20 years in his calculations there. I'm, I'm in the, the baby boomer generation. And uh, there may be just a few here that are in the silent generation. Uh, born uh, 1901 to 1926, maybe. No, I'm sorry. Uh, the silent generation is 27 to 45, I believe. Generation 1 is, is 1901 to 1926. 
Baby boomers are 46 to 64, and all of my, me and my family, my siblings are in that generation. Generation X is uh, 65 to 80, Generation Y is 81 to 2000, and Generation Z is 2001 to, 2000, to, to current, today. And uh, this article was going on to uh, talk about uh, each generation has its unique set of difficulties. Uh, you know, at the, top of the per, uh, at the top of the pyramid, you know, we have the, uh, the uh, uh, generation, the... Uh, what we would know Generation C, and then right below them is the, what we know as the Millennials. It would be another name for the Generation Y. And uh, Generation Y is, is coming of age somewhat. The baby boomers are here. And uh, one of the observations that he made was he said that, uh, you know, if you look at uh, my grandparents or my parents, you know, they, their question was, or their difficulties were, will they survive? And then the next generation said, well, what can we build? And then the next generation said, well, what can we do or what do I want to be? Like, everything is wide open. We can, you know, it's, it's all there for us to, to develop, all there to cultivate. And, uh, and he said the reason they're doing that is because they have the freedom to do that. And uh, so I was, I was challenged as I thought about each generation. You know, you know we went from survival to uh, experiencing different levels of, uh, you know, Expressing ourselves, what can we build, and then what can we be? What can we be, or what can I personally be? And then the freedom to do that. And uh, so I was thinking about the different generations, and I don't know where you find your. And as each suggested generation drops off the sea of time, then there's another generation. That pyramid keeps being built, and uh, you know, as it continues to be being built, it uh, you know it, it presents its unique difficulties, it's unique problems, and, you know, we're familiar with that as time continues on. So going back to my original quote, life doesn't have to be difficult. We may face different sets of difficulties as we go through life, depending on what generation we're in, but I think it needs to be qualified. And I'd like to take your, uh, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So I'm, I'm sticking with my quote, life doesn't have to be difficult, but I, I think we need to qualify it. And I want to qualify it with the words of the Apostle Paul, uh, chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Again, I talked about Job, but I want to draw your attention to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, as he lived the Christian life, uh, what did he experience? Look at verses 9 and verses, uh, verses 10. He says in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Now that puts it in perspective, I think. I think we can say that life doesn't have to be difficult. I have never experienced the things to the extent that the Apostle Paul has experienced. But he's saying, I believe that qualification of life not, having, not being difficult is that God's grace is sufficient. And I want, to, I want to give that to you this morning. Regardless the set of difficulties we may find ourselves in, regardless of what generation we will place ourselves in here, and succeeding generations, however high that pyramid goes, God's grace will be sufficient regardless of the difficulties we face. 
look at those verses. It says, uh, it talks about the, uh, the, uh, the power of God. It says that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And he's talking, Paul is making that a personal experience. And I think you and I need to make that a personal experience too, that the power of Christ may rest in me. You stop and think about what the power of Christ means. What does it mean? Well, it's victory over death uh, for himself. His resurrection from the grave. Death could not contain him in that tomb. So it's victory over death. And for others, you can think of the parable, you can think of the, uh, in, the, uh, in the Gospels, the examples we have of those that were raised back to life. Uh, the examples we have. And we have that hope this morning that we, in spite of the difficulties that we face in life, and even if it costs us our physical life, we know that God's grace will be sufficient through that. Thinking about the power of God in a natural experience. He calmed the waves. Um, I don't know how many thought about that on the Gulf Coast the past week. God calmed the waves, calmed the storm. Another natural phenomenon that he done. He turned the water into he turned the water into wine. Excuse me, wine. He fed the five thousand with five loaves and two fishes. Um, strength and weakness, pain and persecution. God's grace is indeed sufficient through all of those. Matthew chapter five. That's talking about God's power resting upon me. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 16, in the Sermon on the Mount. Delvin's been sharing from the Sermon on the Mount. This is a little further on. Um, as I was thinking about the power of Christ resting on me, I thought of these verses here in Matthew 5. Begin reading at verse, uh, verse 10. It says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. You know, it's talking about difficulties. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall be salted, and thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Notice verse 14. We're talking about lights this morning. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Do I understand, do we understand this morning what our purpose in life is? That we are called to be lights. Our life is to be a light and a testimony for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. In spite of our difficulties, in spite of the afflictions, persecutions, and uh, whatever we may face, our lights are here to be a, our lives are here to be a light and a testimony for Him. So I thought about what makes a difficulty. Uh, there's probably two origins of difficulty, and uh, we may have touched on this in the Sunday school lesson. That is, uh, self can be, from within, can be an origin of difficulty. 
that of not heeding device. This morning, whether you heeded the device of the scripture, whether you heeded the advice of the scripture or not, uh, will determine whether you benefit from it or not. We can. We've discussed the scripture. We've discussed Proverbs. We've discussed the truth of God's word this morning. But you know what we do with it is 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 from here on out is going to make the determination of whether we are wise or not. I can, in my own self wisdom, say, well, it doesn't apply to me. It's not for my time, my era. So an origin of difficulty could be from within myself. Not heeding advice or warnings. Carelessness, unpreparedness, misjudgments. However, I need to also acknowledge that there are, there is another origin of difficulties, and that is those things that are totally out of my control. Uh, Job would be a testimony of that. How many of the difficulties did Job experience that were, he, there were no relation to who he was? Well, I guess I, maybe I should qualify that. He was a, he was a child of God, and in a, in a way that put him in a, in a place that, that God used him for his glory. So, uh, but again, it was nothing totally that he had done or didn't do that really brought those calamities upon himself. As I was thinking about the, the, the origins of difficulty, you know, totally out of our control, I was thinking about, you know, illnesses. We don't choose to get cancer. We don't choose to have heart attacks. We may sometimes, uh, there may be some side peripheral issues that would be, could be connected to that. But we don't make a conscious choice, okay? There are some people that maybe do indirectly, at least that's my observation. You know, if you're smoking, it's almost a given you're going to get lung cancer. Now, I know there's some people that have seemingly uh, gotten away with it. Uh, you know, they've smoked for years and lived to a ripe old age. Well, again, that's not the averages. Um, natural disasters, illnesses, you know, those are things that are, uh, you know, we don't really have control over those things. And, you know, I was thinking about that. I guess you could, you know, the choice to live on the Gulf Coast or not, I, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, it's scenic. It's beautiful. It's it's probably nice, uh, uh, you know, 99% of the time. But you know, we have our problems too up here in the Midwest. We've got blizzards. What's the coldest wind chill we ever saw? Was it 100 below? That was before they changed the value. I think. Uh, I think they softened it up a little bit. So we have our set of problems. You, can, you know, we can fault those people for living on the Gulf Coast, uh, but uh, you know, we, we've got to live somewhere. And uh, so I'm not going to put that to their account, I guess. But uh, as I was thinking about difficulties, you know, I I thought of two stories that came to my mind as I thought about difficulties, and they both happened to couples probably about my age, I believe, a little, perhaps a little older than I am. One was a story of a farmer who was, uh, I think this is in the Midwest here, it was actually in the Iowa farmer. If any of you read this story, bear with me, but uh, I'm just going to give it as I remember it. Um, he was a successful farmer, and uh, he had, uh, they were the grandpa and the grandma, and the grandma wanted to go take his grandchildren shopping, and he said he's too busy, and so he said he got work to do. He was a workaholic, I guess, and uh, the farm was his focus, and he headed off. She went to do, go with with the day with her grandchildren and quality time and he went to do uh, do some trimming up mowing and out in the back 40 whatever it was there was a uh, wooded area and also some a pond and he had the, a mower on the front of his skid loader and as he was mowing this back around there he, he accidentally got too close to the uh, to the pond and 
uh, skid loader actually rolled into the pond. And uh, he was trapped inside there. He put the boom up at the last minute to try and stabilize the thing. Well, that was probably about the worst thing he could do because it blocked his exit to get out the door. And so there he was, and the cab started to fill with water. He, he was trapped in there and uh, ended up there was about five or six inches of, of air in the top of that cabin. He was standing, I think, on the, the thing that maybe took a complete tumble, and he was standing on the top of the cabin, and he was reversed inside there. But uh, he was in there, trapped in there, and uh, with just that little bit of, it was warm, fortunately, so the water was fairly warm. It felt good at first, he said. And, uh, well, his, his wife came home sometime later, and he wasn't back, so she, well, figured he's busy yet went through dinner, went through supper, and finally she got concerned enough, she called two of the nephews and said, something's wrong. And uh, so they, the nephews came over, one had a four-wheeler and the, the other had a drone. And uh, so the one sent his drone off to look over the acreage where they thought he might be, the one headed off in the four-wheeler a while. And sure enough, the, the fellow that was doing the drone, they were watching the monitor, and they saw the skid steer tipped over in the pond. And uh, so he directed the four-wheeler there, and they got there. Of course, he was still standing in the water. He didn't know how long he could stand or how long he'd stay conscious, but he was afraid he was going to you know, lose consciousness and sink down and drown. And uh, so they, he was, they arrived there, and they, they called the emergency paramedics and stuff. And uh, meantime, they realized that time was of essence, so they, they got a tractor and, and hooked to the skid loader to pull it out of the pond and uh, thought they had hooked it carefully enough while... Inadvertently, they, in their haste, they, they didn't hook it carefully enough, and the thing tipped completely over, and the rest of the cab filled with water. And uh, they realized they had probably just minutes to work. And uh, so they reattached it again, and the tractor started spinning on the pond bank there, and they were fortunate enough to get it out, but the cab was completely filled with water. He appeared to be unresponsive. They busted the one back window out, pulled him out, and started to do CRP on him, and uh, fortunately, they, they revived him about the time the... Uh, Medics got there, and uh, he lived to tell it. But it says that uh, that it, you know how it impacted his life, his perspective on things, and uh, you know that was a difficult experience to go through. And uh, you know the other one is one very similar to it. Uh, just read this last evening in the uh, Rochester paper. The two couples, or a couple from uh, man and wife from Texas, that uh, in spite of their adult children. Uh, urging them to flee Hurricane Harvey, said they're going to stick it out. They boarded up their windows, and uh, they said they're going to stick it out. Their adult children were making pleas with them to, to evacuate. And, uh, well, as Hurricane Harvey moved in, it, it uh, was quite a bit more powerful than, than they anticipated, and they realized their house probably was not going to stand. So they, uh, they fled to their uh, Ford Focus, I guess, was their first uh, uh, course of uh, action. And uh, about that time, they realized the water was coming up. I'm not sure how far from the gulf they were, from the port they were, uh, several blocks anyway. And uh, anyway, they realized that was not going to cut it, so they jumped into four-wheel drive pickup, which actually sat higher, and uh, decided they're going to make a last-minute effort to get out. And uh, there was a neighbor that had a higher spot, and they thought they're going to get up there. They made it partway there, but uh, the pickup stalled and uh, got caught there. And so there they were, trapped in their pickup. And the water kept rising. They had their four dogs with them in the cab there. And uh, him and his wife in their 60s. And the uh, little dogs they put on the dash. The two big dogs were sitting in the second seat behind. And they could keep their heads above the water. But the water came up to their chest level. And uh, there they sat all night. 
and he actually had tried to get out of the truck to uh, to get to safety, I guess, and he slipped off the running board and almost got sucked under by the current, but he was able to, after several attempts, pull himself back in. But, uh, you know, again, that's a, that's a difficult experience, I'm sure. And uh, he said it was probably the foolish, the foolish, foolish thing he ever done to think that he could, uh, uh, you know, weather that storm. But, you know, that was a, you know, we'd say that was a difficult experience. As I thought about, uh, you know, the experiences and the difficulties that we go through in life, uh, I'd like to turn to Matthew chapter 25. make some spiritual applications. I want to read the first parable here in this in this account here, Matthew 25. You know, both those incidents, the people survived to, to tell their experiences and, and what they've learned from it. Again, experience is a painful teacher. Uh, but bringing this over to a spiritual application, you know, the warnings were given for Hurricane Harvey. You can choose to uh, listen to them or uh, disallow them and uh, the farmer he can uh, maybe perhaps be more careful coming to Matthew chapter 25 I want to read the first parable there through verse uh, 13 then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom and five of them were wise and five were foolish they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they, they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily, I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. This parable here is clearly telling us about the return of the Lord and who will be allowed entrance into his kingdom might help to understand somewhat the text or some of the, the uh, customs of the day in relation to the text that we read here in Matthew ch uh, chapter 25. Uh, in the, uh, in the, the custom was that the bridegroom would go to the bride's house and escort her back to the location of the wedding, which was oftentimes their house or his house. And uh, as they were coming from the bride's place of abode to where the wedding was going to be held, those of the guests would be waiting and accompanying the procession to the wedding banquet or the feast. And uh, as I researched that, some of the wedding uh, in, in the Old Testament, some of the, I don't know about the new here, but some of the Old Testament weddings, uh, would have, the, the occasion would have went on for 30 days, it says. And uh, so we, we've got to scale down to one day. Uh, but... Uh, so as what we have depicted here is those of the guests, and it's described as ten virgins, five wise and five foolish, who were waiting for the wedding procession to come and waiting for that call that the bridegroom is coming. And as they waited, uh, 
It's interesting to notice perhaps that the number 10 and number 5 is used. If you think of the symbolic, spiritual symbolicness of number 10, it has to do with uh, the law. I think it has to do with the commandments of God. We have 10 commandments. We have, uh, it speaks of God's law. Number 5 is symbolic of God's grace. And uh, there was 5 that were wise and 5 that were foolish. 5 that appropriated God's grace in, in allowing the oil, which is symbolic of God's grace, in their lamps. It's interesting to notice that they both had lamps, foolish and the wise. However, the foolish had not brought extra oil along, extra grace, to keep their lamp burning. And that's my burden this morning, is that we, we keep our lamps burning bright. We need the grace of God to, 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 to nourish that flame of righteousness and hope in our a Christian life and our Christian experience. We need God's grace to keep that flame burning. We need extra oil. We need to have it replenished like we are here today and not only today but throughout the week as we meditate and, and worship God. It's interesting to notice that they both also were anticipating the arrival or the passage of the bridegroom, the five foolish and the five wise. They both slumbered and slept. The one was prepared and the other was not. Verses 6 and 7, they both heard the cry and they both arose. The lamp of God, the lamp represents, I believe, the laws and the teaching, the principles of God that will guide us in the right way. And I, there's a verse in Psalms 119, verse 105, you need to turn to it, but tell David there, says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So the lamps would be symbolic of, of, uh, God's teaching, God's principles guiding us in the right way. Verse 8, the, the sadness, it says, The foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. And that's a, 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 a observation of, of dejection, I believe. Our lamps are gone out. And they make a request to the, to the wise that they could borrow some of their oil. And I believe this speaks to the individual responsibility that each one of us has this morning to keeping our lamps burning. I can't keep your lamp burning for you. I can impart to you the truth of God's word this morning as we shared in the devotional and the singing and the Sunday school and the message here and I can impart that to you but what you do with it is your personal responsibility. And again you can have the Bible, you can come and sit in church. I believe these foolish uh, virgins here were I believe they thought they had everything right. But in the end, they were lacking. And that's sad. I as, a, I, as an individual, am responsible for my relationship to Christ, the bridegroom here. And that truly is who is depicted in the bridegroom. It's talking about the return of Christ. Um, Philippians chapter 2, Paul writing there to the Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, he tells us that we need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean that we can do it in our own strength, but that we need to make that an individual choice to accept that provision of salvation through the Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Verse 9, But the wise answered, that's a response to the foolish, the wise answered, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. I, I thought about that question for a while. Does that mean that God's grace is limited? I don't think it does. I think it means that we need to make an individual request to God. 
I cannot make that request for you. Uh, the wise could not share the grace that they had necessarily with those that, to the benefit of those that were foolish. Um, I had to ask myself the question, you know, why did they not bother to bring along more oil? It seems like a simple solution. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they thought it was too much bother to carry extra oil along. I don't know. You know, I can be bothered by some little things. Uh, but you know, something of that merit, something of that value... How, 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 how far-reaching the effect was as we think of it in light of separation and eternity, which is what it's talking about. Was it too much bother to carry along extra? How much bother is it to, to worship the Lord and to cultivate a relationship with Him? Is it a bother? It shouldn't be a bother. Did they assume uh, the others could or would share that oil? Maybe they saw the others carrying their, their tote of oil along and thought, well, okay, we're covered. Uh, it didn't work that way. And it won't work that way in eternity either. We will all individually give an account to God. Maybe they thought they didn't have time then, but unfortunately they didn't have time now either at the when the cry came for the bridegroom. Today is the day of opportunity and uh, we need to utilize those blessings. I'd like to read a quote from Barclay's study Bible. He says, The following observations by Barclay concisely state the necessity for those who believe they are followers of God of the Bible to diligently seek and to perform the Father's will in their lives. In the daily study Bible series, the Gospel Mark, Barclay says, No man can tell the day or the hour when eternity will invade time and the summons will come. We would like him to find us with our work completed. If we really know what Christianity means, we will know that there is no part of life when the Master is away. We are working and living forever in our greatest, in our great taskmaster's eyes. There is nothing so fatal to feel that we have plenty of time. He further observes the parable has two universal meanings. It warns us that there are certain things which cannot be obtained at the last minute. It is far too late for a student to prepare when the day of examination has come. It is too late for a man to acquire skill or character if he does not already possess it. It warns us there are certain things which cannot be borrowed. A man cannot borrow a relationship with God. He must possess it for himself. We cannot always be living on spiritual capital while others have... We cannot always be living on spiritual capital which others have amassed. He further comments, we can easily... These comments can easily be applied to the condition in which many people find themselves today. Many people think they, that they have spiritual capital that they do not have. Many others think that their association with those who seem to be righteous assures them of being in right standing with God. However, they do not realize that they are bankrupt and are only playing church like the five foolish virgins. The wise virgins wake up when they hear the midnight cry, warning, and quickly fill their lamps, the truth of God's word, with their reserve oil, they repented and began to earnestly seek God and waiting for the bridegroom. But the foolish virgins only being what, being with them what is in their lamp, their initial understanding of God's truth, they have not grown enough spiritually to have any reserve of oil with which to keep their lamps burning. When the foolish virgins realize that God is about to come, they seek to make themselves ready by attempting to borrow from the five who had brought enough oil because they are foolish they think that they can get into the kingdom of God through the effort of someone else. 
The implication is that these people have a wrong attitude and want to do things their own way instead of seeking God's way in a repentant attitude. I thought that summarized it quite well. Well, they did go to buy, in verse 10, and while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, but it was too late. And they that were ready with him, the five wise, went into the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterwards came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. It's today that I need to be concerned about. It's today I need to be concerned how my lamp is burning for the Lord. Is my light Is my lamp burning low, or is it burning brightly for the glory of God? Verse 13 tells us this admonition. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. You know, thinking of the uh, farmer and the couple in in, uh, Texas, you know, their time may have been up. It It seemed apparently very, very close. God gave them another day of opportunity. And, uh, you know, hopefully they... They live their lives in in regard to that. The idea of watching, the NIV says, be alert, give strict attention, be cautious, yet active. The Amplified says, active watching involves responsiveness. You know, it, it requires something from me. Faithfulness and effort to the very end. Never can we relax, never can we let down our guard and allow, think that we've, like we were talking in the Sunday school class, that we've finally learned it all, we know it all. We have an invitation to a wedding banquet. Christ has provided the proper wedding attire. He has given us ropes of wide to to wear. Christ has provided the proper wedding attire. He has given us lamps, the word. He has given us the oil to burn, the grace that God has appropriated to us in our experiences. Are we responsible in applying God's word and grace in our lives so that our lives are bright and burning lamps for His glory? I'd like to turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. Verse 1, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. So he's reminding us, Peter is reminding us, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Now you put yourself back to the parable of the virgins this morning and this is what he's telling us everything continues we're waiting for that call verse 5 for this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old and that the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store reserved under fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, 
not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Let's talk about having your light burning brightly. Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable wrestle, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But, now notice this verse last, this last verse here, verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. That's what's going to keep our lights burning brightly as we grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it's what I give to you this morning. I encourage you to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so that our lamps will not be dim or burned out, but that they will be burning brightly regardless where you find yourself on the pyramid. Whenever the Lord comes and wherever we are in that pyramid, that our lamps are burning brightly for the Lord Jesus Christ.